1: Here with me What is this? I'd rather be. the What is that? Blue jeans What do you mean? Who sings that? Uh,
2: Neil Diamond Really? Why blue jeans? Why are you playing that at the beginning of this? Because we're talking about jeans today Yeah, but we're not talking about denim jeans Is that what he's referring to? Denim jeans?
1: Uh, oh
2: Welcome everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. I'm Dr. Mike, even though everyone tends to refer to me as Dr. Matt, and I'm joined here by Dr. Mikey, you. Dr. Matthew Barton. How are you?
1: I'm drinking out of our mug.
2: Ah, yes, it says Dr. Matt, Dr. Mike With Mike's. your mug on it. Hey, I'm going to take a photo of that. Um, Dr. Matt and I are senior lecturers at Griffith University, and we teach anatomy and physiology to aspiring health professionals. And today we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to not just my heart, but everybody's heart because Blue it, jeans. it creates the heart. It's DNA. Great. cool. Well, that was a good start. <laughs> well, in this episode...
1: This of, is your, this is your um, bread and butter. I knew you
2: were going to say that. See, now you've put an expectation on me.
1: You're the genetics man.
2: Yeah, look, I, sure. Just because I did five years... On genetics, well, actually, I did probably seven years. I did did an honors degree on genetics and a PhD on genetics. Doesn't mean I actually know genetics, Matt.
1: You better than I do. Yeah,
2: that's yeah. Well, not, that's difficult. not hard. So today we're going to talk about DNA. We're going to talk about what it is. We're going to talk about what DNA is comprised of. We're going to talk about why how, we have it. Well, why we have it? That's true. Where is it located? Yeah, all that type of stuff. We're going to talk about how DNA ultimately turns into proteins, which do all the stuff in our body.
1: But what aren't we going to talk about <laughs> in, in, the, in the context of DNA?
2: Okay. Um, well, we're not going to talk about mitosis or meiosis. That's going to be another episode.
1: Okay, so this is when it is replicated.
2: Yeah, I think you just dropped a book in the back there. I thought that was your
1: hip. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we're not going to talk about... Um, how cells are copied. Heredity and And also how um, sex cells are made. Oh, okay. Birds but and the bees. We, yeah, that's another another time. Okay, but we are going to talk about um, how do you make proteins out of it? Yeah, which kind of makes you you.
2: So we're going to talk about DNA to RNA to proteins. So it's DNA transcription, DNA translation.
1: Okay, so let's start at the very beginning,
2: right? What's so you are a zygote.
1: No, no, that's next episode. Oh, okay. So uh, DNA, firstly, what does it stand for?
2: Oh, good question. I should have, should have looked this up. No, it stands for deoxyribose nucleic acid.
1: Okay, so nucleic acid is the um, important words here. Yeah, What are the subunits. Yeah, so these are macromolecules. Yeah, okay, we, that's a good point. We did a podcast on macromolecules, but that was in reference to more food. So what but were they? Proteins, carbohydrates, and fats, or lipids. yep. yep. But we didn't really talk about nucleic acids in that context, did we?
2: No, we didn't. And they do fit within that um, umbrella of macromolecule. It's not a macronutrient, but it's a macromolecule. So people need to be careful with that that terminology. But it's really important because when we look at DNA, deoxy, I'll get to that in a sec, ribose, which just means sugar pretty much, nucleic acid, and the nucleic acid are nucleotides, and these are nitrogenous subunits. So, so these are the monomers? These the are the monomers that make units. up DNA. Okay. And they're made up of carbons, they're made up of hydrogens, oxygens,
1: and nitrogens. Okay, so nucleic acids are macromolecules, that's correct to say, right? Yep. They're important to store and transfer genetic information, would you say that's true? That's true. Okay, it's, they're generally found within nucleus, nuclei? The nucleus. Correct. Of a cell. Yeah, but you can also find them in mitochondria, which we'll get to a bit later. Yeah. This is all correct so far?
2: Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: Are you testing me or is this (laughs) you testing yourself? Uh, They they determine what proteins can be made. Yeah. And there's two main types in the the macro size, being DNA and RNA. Yeah. Okay. Now we're going to focus, before we jump into DNA specifically, we're just going to focus on the monomer. So this is the repeating unit. Yep. And this is called a nucleotide.
2: Yep, okay. that's right. So I think what we need to say first of all is the reason why we have DNA is because it's what we call the genetic blueprint of life. So it is the book that we read that allows for us to become us, to create every aspect of my beautiful body that you're staring at, or ogling at, I should say, at the moment, all because of DNA. And now DNA, like you said, sits within every cell of the body except... What cell? Uh, A
1: mature red blood cell. Why is that? Um, Takes up too too much space and they need the space to carry oxygen with hemoglobin.
2: Yeah, that's basically it. So every cell, every 30 trillion, every one of the 30 trillion cells of our body, except red blood cells, which actually make up a good number of those 30 trillion cells. How many red blood
1: cells are made per second?
2: Yeah, I think per second there's something like a, a billion...
1: Being made. One, one million. One million. Red blood cells per second.
2: I was off by an order of magnitude. So each oh, sentence, at the end of this sentence, it's a billion.
1: <laughs> no, I think a million, unless it's a long sentence. Yeah, uh, fair point. Anyway, but it's a lot. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, but there are other cells that have heaps of nuclei. Oh, it's heaps of DNA. Is that what you, Yeah, DNA. DNA. Heaps of DNA, yeah, like muscle thought. cells. Because they've got heaps of nuclei. They've got heap, heaps of nuclei. Because they probably need to make a heap of protein. Yeah. Because well, they've got heaps of muscle fibers, which are protein.
2: I gotcha. Okay. So you could basically take cells from the body, have a look at how many nuclei,
1: and it sort of determines the importance of the DNA to that cell. In that, in the sense of making proteins. But you could have some cells that are cop, copying themselves all day, all the time. Or well, like we said, with red blood cells mm. in their precursor. Like you said, an old red blood cell or mature red blood not doesn't have any DNA, but its stem cell does. And so, you know, you're making a million a second. So, it yeah. has to be a lot of that in your bone marrow cells. Yeah, of course. Okay, so let's go back to the right. nucleotide. Yeah, so or do you I, want to just finish the analogy?
2: Yes, yeah, so I wanted to say that because it's the book of life, mm-hmm. uh, you know, books that you read are made up of the 26 letters of our alphabet, mm. while the book of life DNA is made up of a four-letter alphabet. And this four-letter alphabet is A, G, C, and T. Okay. And these are our nucleotides. Okay. You okay with that?
1: Yeah. So the analogy that I like to use, if you want to build a house, before your builders can come in and start building, they need a blueprint, and the yeah. blueprint is the instruction booklet on where to put all the material to build the house. And so your DNA is that to build your body. Is that, yeah. Is that it's, okay? It's okay. I like that.
2: Yeah, it's okay. Um, For rookies. For rookies. Or novices. Yeah. So for Matt, that's fine. But for our listeners, it's probably not apt. So the four-letter alphabet being A, adenine, G, guanine, C, cytosine, and T, thymine. These are the nucleotides that make up DNA. Now, there are 3 billion of these nucleotides within every cell of the body. And so if I were to take out a single cell, any cell of your body that's not a red blood cell, pull out the DNA, there would be 3 billion of these nucleotides, which sort of look like they're in a random order, but in actual fact they're in a particular order that allows for them to be read to ultimately make these proteins. That
1: That's you're a lot, isn't about.
2: it? Yeah, three billion is a lot. And 3, three billion nucleotides.
1: Okay. and Long. That's the letters in the book. Yeah. So um, if you were to type this out on your keyboard right now, mm-hmm. Um, your speed of typing is about 200 letters per, se- per minute. Is it? Yeah. Is that good? I've timed you. Okay. Oh, I don't know, about 30 to 40 per, uh, words per minute.
2: All right, yeah. Okay.
1: That's fair. So how long would it take you to type out that book? It, uh, non-stop. Non-stop. Uh, a year. 29 years. Okay, my maths is off by a fair bit. Really? It's a lot, isn't it? That's
2: a lot. And then when they did the Human Genome Project... In, what was it, 2001? I think it was 2001 they did the human genome project. I could be off, 2004 maybe. Anyway, this is where they read the very first genome. Full, 3 billion base per human genome. And that cost them a dollar per nucleotide. Every nucleotide they read, there goes a dollar. Now that was, what, maybe 18, 19 years ago that this happened costs under $1,000 to do a genome, well under $1,000 to now. do a genome now.
1: Yeah. So how many is that per nucleotide?
2: Uh, why? I mean, this is biology. I thought you... I don't I thought, know. I thought, <laughs> I thought you would have worked this out. Well, yeah. I didn't even think about it, to be honest, but yeah, it's cents.
1: Okay. Is
2: that all right?
1: So um, do, did you actually explain what the component of a nucleotide is? Before no, you we-
2: kept interrupting me. So a nucleotide is predominantly made up of nitrogen. So it's called a nitrogenous base Okay. and it's made up of a nitrogen ring. Now, okay, there's so four nucleotides yeah. and two of them ha- uh, have two nitrogen rings and the other two
1: have just a single nitrogen ring. Okay, so the each nucleotide has three components, a sugar, yeah. a phosphate and a... Nitrogenous base. Yeah, I, was gonna, I was gonna get but that. But I'll focus on the base. Yeah. The bases can be broken into two subtypes, one with a double ring, yeah. and one with a single ring. Perfect. Correct? Yeah. The single rings are the pyramidines. Pyramidines. Oh, okay, fine. That's right. A- and the There is a dub- way that the, we the like double, to pronounce words. <laughs> the, the double ring is purines. Correct. Just with the purines, if you ingest foods with a lot of purines, is this the one that gives you gout?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because because Pyramidines and purines, because of the nitrogenous rings, they've got different metabolic processes to break them down.
1: So, if you have foods with a lot of nucleic acids, specifically what, what purines, what does nitrogen
2: produce? Uh, when uric acid, uric acid, ammonia. It produces these breakdown products that need yeah, to be discarded, become,
1: turn into crystals. Correct. But purine's like seafood, red wine, meats. I just yeah, they, they, they just have, have a lot of purines have, in yeah, it.
2: Yeah, higher con- purine content.
1: Okay, and what are the um the letters that fit into the purines
2: so the purines being the double rings that's going to be It'll test yeah yeah uh guanine good and adenine
1: is guanine in uh energy drinks uh i think that's guarana <laughs> close, close yeah close was it granola no that's muesli uh, muesli
2: yeah isn't Grin- that what a cow right. eats um, muesli. Okay, my daughter says every time she wants muesli and uh, yogurt, she says guarana and yogurt. So one day I'm just going to pour uh, a V energy drink into her uh,
1: her bowl and see how she's already hyped up. Uh, enough. She's already hyped up
2: enough. She doesn't need the energy.
1: Okay. And so, what about the three letters in the Pyramidines
2: Three letters. I thought there's only two.
1: Oh, if you cl- include in um RNA.
2: Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. So it's going to be uh, cytosine thiamine and if we're talking rna uracil
1: okay we'll come back to that yes okay so we are you happy with our nucleotides then
2: okay nucleotides nitrogen spaces two rings or one ring the two rings are guanine adenine the one ring is cytosine and thiamine if it's two rings it's a purine if it's one ring it's a pyramidine and each of these regardless of whether it's two or one ring are attached to a sugar okay now, these sugars are pentose. So how many sides is that? Five. Okay. Is so that it's right? A, yep. So, so it's a five-sided sugar pentagon. and it actually looks very similar to glucose. Okay. So it's a five-carbon ring. Glucose
1: is six, isn't it?
2: Correct. C6H12O6. But it looks very similar to glucose. I'm not saying it is glucose, but similar. And so this five-carbon ringed sugar pentose molecule is also attached to a phosphate. Now, before we do that, if we're talking DNA, the sugar molecule has all of its carbons bound to oxygens. Sorry, if it's RNA, has all of them bound to oxygens. If it's DNA, I think it's the second... Yeah, I think it's the second carbon has lost an oxygen. And that's why it's called deoxyribose. Ribose, meaning sugar. Yeah, nucleic acid. And so when we look at the loss of the oxygen or the gain of the oxygen between the DNA and RNA, why do you think this happens? Any idea? Why does, why does RNA have all of its carbons filled with oxygen? And why does DNA, why is it missing an oxygen? I think it's the second carbon position of the sugar.
1: Uh, maybe because it needs a double bond or something. It's or- a
2: hydroxyl that it makes for ribose. As far as I'm aware, this could be wrong. So I want listeners to correct me if I'm incorrect. But... When you look at DNA and you look at RNA and you look at the li- the longevity of these molecules, which one lasts longer and which one gets degraded first?
1: DNA is long-lasting. Yeah.
2: So, you know, if, if there was a... DNA lasts thousands of years and so you can take DNA...
1: 10,000 years.
2: Yeah. Around about. You can actually get DNA, you can get fragmented DNA from I think up to 50 to 100,000 years,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but definitely not millions of years. But... This DNA...
1: When you say fragmented, what do you mean?
2: Oh, so DNA will start to degrade. And so there's going to be fragmented pieces. So instead of having a nice 3 billion long chain, okay. areas are going to be degraded over time.
1: So when, when we um, have archaeological digs where they have bones and so forth and they look at the DNA there, and that could be yeah. well over 50,000 years old. Correct. How do they do it in that case? Is it just well preserved in, the, in a certain no, part of the body? It's
2: extremely fragmented. And so Uh what they do is they take it and they align it with what they see to be um, common alignment sequences within our genome or similar organism genomes.
1: Okay. Yeah.
2: Um, So anyway, RNA degrades really quickly. So in in the lab, if I were to take DNA and RNA and put them both on the bench in the labs, RNA would be degraded by the next morning pretty much. But the DNA okay. would be fine. I could leave, I, and I have left DNA. you do that
1: all the time, actually. You leave, leave, just, leave your DNA everywhere.
2: Uh, okay. I don't know in what form. I assume it's in my spittle or my hair or something like that. Anyway, we often take DNA from blood and we leave it to dry on the bench. And it's fine. DNA is all good. RNA, not good. And we think it's because of the oxygen molecule. So the addition of the oxygen for the RNA, I think it allows for it to be targeted by RNAs, enzymes that chop it up and break it down.
1: Uh, so it's not to do with DNA being double standard and d- stranded and no. stranded and more stable than no. a single-stranded RNA?
2: Well, no, the double-stranding help, helps the stability, mm. but also it seems that without that oxygen, it doesn't get targeted by enzymes for degradation as well. Oh, okay. Does that make sense? I think so. Okay. Whether it's worth bringing up or not, who knows? I just thought it was an interesting point. People ask why is there no oxygen on DNA and there is on RNA. So, all right. So, we said that we've got the sugar and the sugar is now attached to a phosphate as well, which is P4, no, uh, PO4 negative. So, it's a phosphorus with four oxygen and a negative charge to it. Okay. So, the phosphate
1: is negatively charged. And that binds at what point... What carbon on the sugar? Either C1 or C4? Five. Ah,
2: okay. So, what you're saying is, but it doesn't, now, is this phosphate binding to the sugar that is bound to the nucleotide? Yeah. Okay. Nucleotides at one. But this phosphate is also bound to a nu- the nucleotide next door. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do you know where it's bound to the nucleotide next door? No. To the sugar. Okay. So the phosphate is bound to the sugar of its own nucleotide and to the sugar of its neighbouring nucleotide. Okay. And that continues for the 3 billion nucleotides, yeah. which means this is why we call it a phosphate sugar backbone. Okay. Does that make sense? So, so DNA has a phosphate sugar backbone.
1: Okay, so if we use the analogy of a ladder being yeah. the DNA, what part of the ladder is this backbone?
2: This is the side rungs, so the, the, verti- vertical the vertical side one. rungs that you hold on to. Yeah. Well, I suppose you can hold on to any part of the ladder, but not where you put
1: your feet. Okay, so that's the horizontal. What's What are they?
2: Okay, so those horizontal bars on a the ladder, they're going to be nucleotides, Okay, but it's where a nucleotide on one strand yep. binds to a nucleotide on the other. And I don't okay. think we've made the point that DNA is double-stranded.
1: Whereas RNA is single? Correct. Okay. Well, in
2: actual fact, there's a lot of double-stranded RNA that's caught up in various aspects of the cell. Probably a vast majority of RNA is double-stranded. But free RNA within the cytosol or cytoplasm is single-stranded. Okay. Yeah. Um, Okay, so again, DNA, two strands. The strands are identical in the sense that they both contain nucleotides, which are nitrogen-based. They both contain sugars, which are pentose, five-carbon rings, and they both contain phosphate groups. The phosphate and the sugar are bound to each other and they're bound to their own nucleotide and also bound to the neighbouring nucleotide. The way that the latter connects at the rungs in the middle yep. is by nucleotide directly to nucleotide through a hydrogen bond. Okay. So is this multiple. a strong
1: bond? Yeah, so it depends. So Is it as strong as the backbone bonds? No. Okay. No, no, no.
2: So these are hydrogen bonds, which are weaker bonds. They can get than, pulled
1: apart. Yeah, than the sugar phosphate bonds.
2: Now, because there's only four letters... A, G, C, and T, what we'll find is that only two will always bind to each other. So G, guanine, will always bind to C, cytosine. Okay. And T, Mm -hmm. thiamine, will always bind to A, adenine. Okay. G and C have a three hydrogen bond and A and T have two hydrogen bonds.
1: Oh, okay, yep.
2: Now, Does that mean
1: the, some are stronger?
2: Yeah, this is important if you want to do molecular biology at some point and you go to do PCRs. So PCRs are called polymerase chain reactions. My PhD students do them all the time, and it's a way of cloning, copying, amplifying DNA. When you heat the DNA strand to denature it, so we often heat the double-stranded DNA so that the two strands pull themselves apart. And the reason why they
1: do this is because hydrogen hates high temperatures. So is it technically called denaturing? correct so there's no protein in it there right doesn't matter no. i just do, thought there was always protein
2: no but when we do denaturing with proteins yeah. we're denaturing the hydrogen bonds okay all right so as we will talk about shortly when we produce protein and they fold into a three-dimensional shape they're bound to each other through hydrogen bonds but here's the thing so you put something in a microwave and you shake the hydrogen bonds and you break the hydrogen bonds and you denature stuff when you put an egg on the stove and the temperature increases, you're denaturing hydrogen bonds. So it's temperature denatures hydrogen bonds. Okay, so
1: just change the structure of it. Yes. Therefore function.
2: And the more hydrogen bonds you have, Mm. the higher the temperature needs to be to break it. So when we do PCR, if there's an area of DNA that's all G's and C's, you've got three hydrogen bonds to break as opposed to the two with A and T, and you need to ramp that temperature up even higher Mm. to break the DNA. Do you know that when you're doing it? You have to, yeah. So you have to... Uh, take the DNA sequence that you want to amplify. You chuck it into a computer. It tells you the percentage of Gs and Cs. Yeah. If it's higher than sixty percent, you're going to have difficulties amplifying it.
1: And what does that mean for temperature? Oh,
2: it like means the, the temperature gets so high.
1: What, like a third greater?
2: Oh, like uh, even a couple, couple of temperature, a uh, couple of degrees, like three or four degrees Celsius higher.
1: And what, what temperature is this?
2: Well, it depends. So we have an initial denaturation temperature. I don't think we're going to do an episode on <laughs> PCRs because everyone's going to turn off. But you've got an initial denaturation, which is at like 95 degrees.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. Anyway. So we have this DNA, which yeah. is a double-stranded ladder. That's been twisted up upon itself. Now, you said there's three billion? Three billion of these. So does that mean in your nucleus, in all your cells bar your red blood cells, mm. you've just got this three billion long ladder
2: okay so this three billion long ladder sounds extremely long how I mean, long is it nearly you two it,
1: meters so if you pulled it out yeah the it, dna the, it would be my height Yep, and three times your height <laughs> touche um <laughs>
2: yeah yeah okay yes so we've we've got so I, you pull the dna out of my cells, one cell. Let's, let's you know, say. you hold it up. I'm trying to jump up to grab it. I can't reach it. It's out of my reach. But it's not actually sitting in your cells as this one. So DNA is linear, which means it's one long stretch, like a piece of string, right? Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't sit in your cells as a piece of string because it wouldn't fit. So, I mean, there was a fact when we did ABC Radio the other week. I don't know if you remember the fact, but if you were to take all the DNA out of every one of your cells and put it end to end... Mm. Do you remember how long it would go? Uh,
1: I think it w- to it the, was, the sun and back four hundred times.
2: Yeah, I think it was from here to Pluto and back, mm. which is probably a similar distance. Regardless, 16,
1: 16 billion, 16 billion kilometers. It's
2: long, mm. right? And so, but does
1: that mean in the double stranded form, or you've broken that apart and then put that on?
2: <sighs> wow, that that would double the uh, double the distance, <laughs> I assume. I don't know. Right. So, in saying that it's really hard to fit a two metre long bit of DNA in each of your 30 trillion cells. Yeah. So it needs to be really, really, really compacted. condensed and compact. And when it is condensed and compacted, it's in the form of chromosomes.
1: Okay. and um, so, so does this mean it's chopped up? The well, two, it's, it's is the two metres chopped up into...
2: Segregated into discrete condensed packets okay. that we call chromosomes. And they're the 46... Is it all 23. 23 pairs okay. of chromosomes or 46 individual. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you've got chromosome 1, chromosome 2, all the way up to 22. Yeah. And then the 23rd are the uh, genetic sex determining chromosomes. So either XX or XY. Yeah, so XY would be... Male. Genetic male, XX would be genetic female. Yeah. Okay, all right. The other 22 are s- somatic, so oh. they're just cells... Autosomes. Autosomes, yeah. Sorry, but basically they're they're not sex determining is what I'm saying. But they contain all the genes to create all the proteins that create everything of your body. Okay. All right. Now, because they're pairs of chromosomes, they're pairs because you actually got one from mum, one from dad. Yeah. So when we look at the pair of chromosome one, you got one from mum, one from dad, pair of chromosome two, one from mum, one from dad. And same with the sex chromosomes. Let's just say your XY... Which I assume you are. You got one X from mum, from mum, and well, the Y from dad. You had to get the
1: Y from dad, yeah, right. So uh, the mum, the mum always gives an X, whereas the the father will determine, or the sperm, let's just say, will determine if it's a Y or an X.
2: Yeah. So the sperm can give an X, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I had a daughter, so I had to give a an X, X chromosome,
1: right? Um. All right. So this is all now. This. Um, Three billion pair long strand of double um, stranded uh, ladder Strands. ladder yeah, yeah. is all condensed into a nucleus yep. within a cell. Yeah, let's just pick a cell—a cell in your skin. Okay, okay. great. So well, that two meters of ladder is condensed into your, your cell nucleus, which is approximately five to seven microns in size—tiny. Okay, and this is where all that DNA is housed, and it's chopped up into distinct parts called your chromosomes. Mm-hmm. Is that about right? Yeah, I'm okay with that. Um, how do you really compact it in? Like is it just folded in on itself?
2: Yeah, it's, it's so tightly bound that it obviously needs clips, right? So if, if you were to take a ball of yarn, no, let's just say someone gave you a ball of yarn that was untangled, okay, right? Yeah. It takes up so much space.
1: So you need to... Is your re- DNA ever like this?
2: Yes, when we're going to talk about it in a sec. Okay.
1: Right? What? Okay. No, I think just, just say that. Is it at the normal operating point or only when it needs to be copied?
2: Only when it needs to be copied. Okay. Yeah. When nothing's happening to it, it has to be tightly bound. So it's all condensed up? In the form up. of chromosomes,
1: yes. Okay. Um, so okay, go, with your, go with your messy ball of yarn. Yeah, so messy ball of yarn, you
2: hand it to me. And you say, you need to fit it in this very small container. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so I have to really tightly
0: wrap, 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 wrap.
2: But if I were to wrap it and just let it go, it's going to unravel. Okay. Right? So I need to clip it. You, know, you get some bag clips and hold it at distinct areas. And these things are called histones. And histones help clip and hold. So they're proteins? They're proteins and they help hold the chromosomes together. Okay. Now there's other structural components that hold chromosomes together. But histones are important. They're also important in the regulation. They also stop
1: chromosomes from being red as well okay right so just so you know how condensed this actually is yeah if you got again a strand of dna which is the um ladder
2: yeah and you put we don't need to say that now i think everyone knows (laughs) what dna is spoke about it for 30 minutes (laughs) and you
1: put 20 billion strands next to each other yeah okay that would be the thickness of human hair wow so that's just showing you how much it condenses in there wow Mm.
2: That's insane, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Now, what we want to do, Matt gave the example that we're looking at this DNA inside the cell of his skin. And what we want to look at now is we know that DNA is the instruction booklet to make all the proteins of the body. Now, proteins are structural or functional. So if they're structural, it's pretty easy. It's the analogy that you use to build a house. They're going to be the bricks, the mortar, the things that hold things together. The functional... Proteins are going to be carrier proteins. They're going to be the things that make your eyes blue and your hair. Enzymes. red. Enzymes. Hormones. All those types of things, right? But we need to make them from the DNA. And this is the point that we're at now. Now, there's a couple of stages that we use to delineate the different points of turning DNA to proteins. Do you want to outline what those stages are and then we'll take it one by one? So just before you move on,
1: yes, I will. But before we move on... Would you say that what makes each cell different is their ability to make the proteins uniquely for that area? Okay,
2: so whether I were to take a cell from your eyeball or a cell from your liver, they have the exact same DNA, yeah.
1: right? But why they look so different?
2: They look so different because
1: of this process we're going to talk about next is regulated differently. So their ability to make the proteins, therefore their kind of house just looks at differently uh well it's I don't that this is okay, so this is the reason why I don't like your house
2: analogy because if DNA was the blueprint for a house, every house would look the same, but they don't okay, and so the blueprint while the blueprint is identical between you and me with a couple of changes here and there it's not about the blueprint it's about the foreman and how the foreman guides his workers to build the house, okay, does that make sense yep. Right so
1: and I think another good analogy of that is... we'll determine whether it is or isn't. Um a caterpillar versus a butterfly yeah. has the same DNA. Yeah. Exactly the same. But the way that they express their DNA will determine if one's a worm like thing versus one's got wings.
2: Yeah. It's just how it, how the DNA is read. Okay. All right. So if, like for example, okay, no. We'll go through. <laughs> what are the different stages? Okay, so we're going to make of turning DNA to
1: protein. Okay, we're going to make so we're going to make proteins. Uh, so proteins, just so you know what they are, are repeating units of amino acids. Is that right? Yep. Um, the average length of amino acids what is three thousand? Or was that two? Or was it
2: nucleotides? I think the average length of a gene to is, make a protein to make a protein is around about. Uh, I think between usually three thousand to fifty thousand Nucleotides long, but the longest one I think is like a million nucleotides long. Okay, but we haven't spoken about genes yet. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, So, what was your question? I didn't have a question. You decided to just go off on a tangent.
1: I think you asked me to do something. Yeah,
2: the three different phases Uh, of of turning DNA to protein. Okay. Um... Sorry about this, everyone. This is what (laughs) I have to work with every day. I always have to rein him back in.
1: I didn't know there was three. I thought there was only two. What are the two then? Transcription, translation. Yeah. No. 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 Talking about initiation. elongation oh that's part of so that's part of transcription which okay sorry about this everyone Look, you this asked is, me we're the- doing some
2: housekeeping here behind the scenes and um uh, we're just going to take a break while i beat matt into uh into doing what he needs to do all right welcome back everybody <laughs> we didn't take a break all right <laughs> all right let's have the dna let's just give an example you go outside. I know it's a terrible thing for you to do in Queensland because of your light, pale, translucent skin will probably burn and instantaneously you'll turn to ash. Combust. Combust. He walks outside. The sun, throwing its photons. It takes seven minutes for these photons to travel through our Way. Okay, we don't Way need to go into this. To get... Okay, through.
1: Let's just say radiation.
2: All right. UV radiation is coming from the sun. Goes through our atmosphere. Hits Matt's skin. Hits him like a... Punch from Mike Tyson. Once it goes through his skin, the UV light stimulates certain cells called melanocytes. Now, like we said, every cell but red blood cells have DNA in their nucleus. The UV light hits the DNA in the nucleus and this environmental trigger tells the DNA to start being red to turn into RNA and this RNA to turn into proteins. And the protein that we're making in this scenario is melanin and melanin protects the surrounding cells from further uv damage right this is a good example because often and this is another example of why an eye looks like an eye and a liver looks like a liver and a pancreas looks like a pancreas is because different environmental stimuli trigger certain proteins to be made within certain cells okay all right so first thing is uv light comes in triggers the dna now, what we need to do is we need to find discrete regions of DNA that can be turned into RNA that can be read into proteins. These discrete regions of DNA, in actual fact, these small, dis- well, the smallest region of DNA that can be turned into a protein, mm. we call a gene. Okay. And like we said, a gene can be, you know, it can be 10 nucleotides long, it can be a million nucleotides long. There's no rule as to the length of a gene. Okay. Now, in order for this to be read, in order for the DNA to be read and turned into RNA, something called RNA polymerase needs to come along. And this is transcriptional machinery within the nucleus.
1: So what we're doing at this point in time is just changing the uh, language from DNA into RNA. Yeah, And that's called transcription.
2: Yeah, so the only difference is, you know, it's going to be single-stranded instead of double-stranded. And all the T's will be a U, but we're still copying... One of the strands okay. of the DNA. Now, and,
1: and this is occurring in the nucleus? Always. Okay. All right. So we've, we're basically just finding a part of my genome within my melanocyte to create melanin. Yeah.
2: So now, the question should be, if you're a good student, Matt, how does it know where to bind to the There's three billion base pairs. I don't know how long the melanin protein is, mm. but let's say it's a 1,000 nucleotides long. How does it know where to find where these 1,000 nucleotides are mm. to make the melanin? There's things called promoters. So there's promoter sequences on genes, and they're just, again, a collection of nucleotides, which are like flags for the RNA polymerase to say, hey, come over here. So what is RNA polymerase? It's it- just what we call transcriptional machinery. So is, it, is it an enzyme? Uh yeah. It's, okay. Because it ends in A's, it's an enzyme. So it does something and it does something very quickly. And so what it does is it finds the promoter region.
1: It, so out of the 23 chromosomes, it finds it somehow? Correct. And is it just by a flag?
2: Yep. It identifies, it, it has a sequence on it that specifically matches with the promoter sequence of that particular part of the DNA.
1: Okay, but you've got thousands of millions or thousands to millions of genes in my melanocyte, and you've got a whole How bunch does, of RNA polymerases. What, what just de- determines the just the gene to make melanin t- to now turn on, just for this point in time? Is it just that environmental stimulus? Correct. So the environmental stimulus will be the trigger. So this
2: is the thing, right? If you need RNA polymerase to make DNA into proteins, and RNA polymerase is basically a, a protein in itself. Mm chicken versus egg here yeah right so there needs to be a trigger also to stimulate the rna polymerase to be produced
1: okay right let's get to that later and
2: that could be this uv light so the uv light could trigger this particular type of rna polymerase to be made which is quite specific to binding to this promoter region
1: so so you're saying the rna polymerase there could be multiple different types. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. So it's not like this generic one. No, it's not just one RNA polymerase. No, I'm just saying one, one, but I just thought it, that one type just does all the genes. in it, the cell. it would
2: do multiple. Okay. It would do multiple, but there's many different types oh, of wow. RNA polymerase. Amazing. Yeah. So it comes in, binds to the promoter. That's the flag. It then reads along. So when it binds to this, remember it's binding to double-stranded DNA here. And because the double-stranded DNA is bound to each other, one strand is bound to another strand, it's really hard to read. It needs to unravel the strand.
1: Because it's held together by those hydrogen bonds.
2: Correct. So it needs to pull the hydrogen bonds apart and unravel the DNA. Now once you think about it, if you were to take uh, two pieces of string, line them side by side like DNA, and then twist either end of it to create what looks like a double-stranded DNA, Mm. then bind the ends... So that you can let go of it and it's still twisted around and then go straight in the middle and pull it apart in the middle, yeah. you'll find that the rest of that strand starts to hyperwind. It overwinds.
1: Condense. It condenses it, more.
2: Well, it starts to basically wind more and more and more and more and more upon itself. Okay. Which is not something you want to do to DNA. Right. So there's different other enzymes that come along called helicases. Yep. These helicases help continue to unwind the DNA upstream and downstream to help this whole process happen. Amazing. Now, when the RNA polymerase comes in, it usually just untangles around about 10 or 15 nucleotides at a time and it starts to read. Now, what it's doing, because... Can I ask a question here? Yeah, I mean, you've interrupted me at every other aspect of the podcast. <laughs> no, I think it's
1: important. So, if you're in a cell where you want to express this gene a lot of the time... Yeah. Do these kind of remain open sometimes? Like just, or not as bound back up. Like say, let's say for if you were more dark skinned compared to me. Yeah. You're presumably you're producing more melanin. Yeah. So does that mean they're just expressing their genes more frequently than I am? So would that mean that their um, DNA is kind of unwound at that point a lot of the time? So there's different types of gene expression, right? Something that's constitutively activated
2: and something... So, basically, you can have gene expression happening all the time for what we call housekeeping genes like beta-actin, yeah. for example. I wouldn't go as far to say that they're constantly unraveled, but they are constantly being read and okay. turned into
1: RNA to be made. So They might just have a permanent flag there. a the promoter region. And it's constantly it's, being read. Where my flag's destroyed.
2: Yes. So, there are not going to be areas where... It's opened up and it's constantly being read, right? It's just happening all the time. But because, I, because biology is weird, I wouldn't say that there's never a time where it's not bound up. Yeah. Um, I would say that when a particular cell is copying itself through replication of mitosis, it can't be making any more copies, right? Because... Yeah.
1: No, I just meant for the gene expression, but that's okay. You keep going. Sorry. Okay. I just had a question there.
2: Um. So yeah, it binds I don't know the, where I was. At. It, it
1: binds <laughs> to the promoter region,
2: uh, binds to the promoter region, unravels. Now there's two strands. Yep. And the question is, which strand does it read? Okay. All right. So one strand we call the template strand, yep. and the uh, other strand we call the coding strand. Okay. All right. Now what we want to do is make a copy of the coding strand, and to do that, we use the template strand. So think oh, about. So
1: it. you want to copy the code, the coding strand.
2: Yeah. So let's say the coding strand is A T T C, right? That's the that's the coding strand. Mm-hmm. The template strand, because A always binds to a T. I
1: like to write this down. You're going to write what it down is it? what is
2: it? A T T C. Okay. All right. So that is going to be the coding strand. On the opposing strand, called the template strand. It's going to be binding to other nucleotides that match it. And like I said, an A always binds to a T. Correct. A T always binds to an A and a C always binds to a G. So the template strand and the coding strand. RNA polymerase comes along. It unravels the two strands. It wants to make a copy of the coding strand. So it uses the template strand. So it sees on the template strand that it says T-A-A-G. Yeah. Right. It's going to start reading G, will start producing G A
1: A T. So these, uh, oh no, you're not doing the RNA yet, are you? you just no.
2: This is making RNA, okay. And the so... you mean
1: you're just reading the opposing strand. at no. this point.
2: let me go back. We want to make, we want to make A T T C. Yeah, right. So what it's doing is unraveling it, and yes. it's reading. The opposing. Opposing, T-A-A-G. Yep. And when it reads it, it chucks in as though it's trying to make another copy of the coding. Yep. An opposing nucleotide. yeah. So the opposing nucleotide.
1: And this is now you're starting to make RNA. Yes.
2: So let's just say the opposing nucleotide for the T is going to be an A and it puts an A in. The opposing nucleotide for the A is going to be a T, but we're making RNA here. So it's going to be a U. Yes. Then it puts another U because it's opposing the A. Yep. And then it puts a C for the G. For the G. Okay. Right? Yep. And then.
1: So you, in the nucleus, because this is happening in the nucleus. Yeah. You've got RNA nucleotides just floating around in there just to, for this purpose. Yeah, the
2: RNA polymerase pulls in all these nucleotides, right? This is why it's known as a, a, a macromolecule yep. uh, and something that we need to
1: often get from our foodstuffs. And does this occur? Where does this occur? In the, the, in the nucleus. But in the. Is there a, like a nuclear plasm, like a cytoplasm in the nucleus, like uh, a, a watery region?
2: Yeah, assume so.
1: Because there is a what's the the nucleosome? The one right in the middle, the nucleolus. Nucleolus. That's just for making rubber zones, isn't it? M- maybe. I thought it was just <laughs> that's its purpose. I
2: don't know. You, you've now you've now picked a hole in my uh, my knowledge here. Okay.
1: Probably. I think that's right.
2: Okay. So. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I haven't confused people. No, no, it's okay. We want to make ATTC. So we use the opposing strand, yep. and we end up making ATTC in the form of RNA, but it's going to be AUUC.
1: Yeah. So you, we, at this point, we just want to make melanin, Yeah. okay? And we want to find the gene to code for melanin. Yeah. Okay, but the first, before we can make the melanin, which is a protein, we have to make an RNA script. Yeah. Okay? And so we found... we. Found the region to make melanin, which is the gene. The RNA polymerase broke open the DNA, and there's two strands. There's the coding strand and the template strand. Correct? You you will, you're going to read one, and that is the template. You're going to read the template because I want yeah. to make a coding strand. Right. Yeah. So the coding strand of the DNA, which isn't read, is like the fifth time we've yeah, said yeah. it. I'm just it's exactly it, is what the RNA will become. Yeah. But the only difference is, instead of the Ts on the RNA on the DNA, it's going to be a Us. Yeah. Otherwise, it's all the same.
2: Now, the polymerase—how does it know when to stop? It's going to hit a portion of the DNA, which basically says stop, right? And is so, that a
1: sequence, or is it just a like another flag? It's another flag. Okay. Right. It stops. Yep. The new
2: RNA that it made jumps off. Yep. This is now called mRNA, messenger RNA, and it's a precursor. It's not a mature mRNA. Okay, so it's and now it's floating around, and now it needs to jump out of the nucleus into the cytoplasm.
1: Okay, but before it does that, it has to be modified, right? Uh,
2: doesn't the modification happen in the cytoplasm?
1: I thought um, the the mature the mature RNA kind of um, once it's had its modification gets spat out of the The nuclear pool. Yeah, maybe you're
2: right. Yeah, maybe you're right. So in the nucleus, we've got the mRNA, the immature mRNA. And it's called immature mRNA because it contains a whole bunch of DNA that actually doesn't contribute to making the protein. Okay. So there's introns and exons. Okay. For some strange reason, exons stay in, introns get spliced or cut out. Okay. So... What happens now is we need some more transcriptional machinery to come in. And chop it up. Chop it up. Chop out the introns and and then glue the exons together. And again, how does it
1: know which is which? Sequences.
2: It's all just directed by DNA
1: sequences, uh, RNA sequences. So in a similar way to the flags of start and stop, the same kind of thing, they find points where this is uh, exon or intron and chop, chop. Mm -hmm. Okay. And which ones leave? The introns. Introns leave. Okay. And then... You put all the exons. And the exons are together. glued together. And yeah, this is called splicing. Correct. Okay. mRNA splicing. Amazing. And then this can jump out of the nucleus. Wait. Whoa, What happens? There's still more. Oh yeah, I
2: you, forgot about the. Uh, you got to cap it. The
1: modification. You got to tail it.
2: So what's that mean? What's going on? Oh, you, that's okay. All I know. You put a cap on the. <laughs> you put a cap on one end, which is called the five prime end, which we haven't spoken about yeah, yet. Okay. And the and then you put what we call a poly A tail on the three prime end.
1: Okay. So the cap. Is to protect it? Yeah.
2: And when I say five prime, three prime, it basically, this is the direction. Remember I said we're reading the DNA? Yeah. Five prime to three prime is the direction. So the coding strand is going to be five prime to three prime and the template strand is going to be three prime to five prime, right? And so that's what we're talking about here. So now we've got this mRNA, which has been made, which is five prime to three prime.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Oh, And on the five prime end, we've got a cap to it which is made up of a whole bunch of guanines.
1: And what's that for again?
2: Uh, That's basically just to protect it. From what? Degradation. Okay,
1: by enzymes in the... Yeah. Okay, all right.
2: And the poly-A-tail is a bunch of adenines or A's. Okay. Lined up, really long tail. And that is used, uh, again, as like a a directional... It's like putting a postage stamp on a letter. Oh, yeah. Sort of helps it go to where it needs to go to.
1: Okay. And so this is now... We've basically got a mature mRNA now. Yeah. A messenger RNA. Which can jump out of can, the cell. Can you... jump out of the nucleus. So can the... Um, from the poly-A tail... Yeah. Could you potentially add another mature RNA to it? Or you're not sure?
2: Look, it's biology. Anything can happen. Okay. But
1: I'm not sure. All right. So now we've we've got a mature mRNA. Yeah. And now we're going to leave the nucleus. Yeah. Okay. Is that correct? Correct. And the nucleus does have a, a membrane around it, like our cells.
2: And this mRNA is basically a gene,
1: right? Yeah. This is a gene. So in this case, going back into the, into the lab, yeah. Um, if you were to let's say pull out some skin cells, yeah, you could find a, a heap a heap load of a m- heap load a heap load yeah of mRNAs for melanin. Yeah. Okay, yeah. this would give you an indication that I'm expressing a lot of um, genes for melanin. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, like so you, you would find. Is this how you can find yeah, well, when if we the we cells? A, yeah, got well, a high expression of a gene.
2: Correct. When we do experiments, like let's just say we have some mice and we expose them to you know low levels of UV. Let's just say we have two mice. One we expose to low levels of UV. One we don't expose to any UV. Yeah. And then we take a biopsy of their skin. Yeah. And then I were to take out all the mRNA. F- or melanin, mm. and compare the quantity, yeah. you'd think that because of this process we've just spoken about, the one that's been triggered by UV, there'll be high levels. So much more.
1: Much more, and then the other one's not going to be much at all, if not any. Okay, all right. That's great. So, <coughs> just me. as I was saying, the, the nucleus has a membrane <coughs> around it, which is probably semipermeable like your cell membrane. Yeah. Okay. Um, so things probably need to be carried in and out. You know, just like your normal cells, like proteins, enzymes, mm-hmm. um, ions, etc. But there are there are kind of pores in it or holes, and in this case, the mRNAs which are being made all the time can transport out of the nucleus yep. into another organelle, which is basically continuous with the membrane of the of the nucleus, right? Called yeah. the rough endoplasmic reticulum. Correct. And so, and it's rough because. It's full or contains a lot of ribosomes. Yes. And what are ribosomes? They're the machinery people that, mm-hmm. he- that help to put the um, the amino acids together. So they read the, the mRNA, which we just made in the nucleus, okay yeah. and they, they read that, and the code from the RNA codes for amino acids, and each time you add another amino acid in amino acid amino acid you eventually get a protein out of it. So this is an important point. We always say... And this is called translation. Yeah, so what we've spoken about thus far is
2: transcription. That's all of transcription. As soon as that mRNA comes out of that nucleus into the cytoplasm to be read by the ribosomes and some more machinery, which I'll talk about in a sec, that is transcription. So you've just transcribed something. So it's basically no different to me handing you a page in a textbook and just saying, write this page out for me. Okay, and, you know, exactly. But, it. Or it's like write this page out but summarize the important points. And so what you've done is you've now just summarized a whole bunch of important points and this is, this is all that matters and that's what you hand me. You've just turned the DNA, which is the raw textbook, into something usable and functional that I can use, which is the mRNA. And now we need to read that mRNA and turn it into – well, this is the thing. We don't turn mRNA into proteins or amino acids – we use it as another blueprint to make amino acids or proteins. Okay. And then that mRNA gets degraded and broken up.
1: Okay. This is done in the
2: rough ER. Yes, the rough endoplasmic reticulum. So what happens is this. Can I start talking about it?
1: Let's just tell me, what, what are the ingredients to, to bake this cake? The right. protein. We need the mature mRNA transcript. So that's the
2: recipe book? Uh, yes. So this is basically the recipe book on how to make melanin, the protein. Yeah. That's come through from the nucleus. Yep. We need ribosomes, okay. which the mRNA feeds through, yep. right? Like it's going through a tunnel of ribosomes, okay. or of a ribosome. And we need something called tRNA, yep. uh, which is transport RNA yep. or transfer RNA. And basically it... One more. Is ban- so this tRNA has three nucleotides on it that will match two nucleotides on the mRNA transcript. That's on one end and on the other end it has an amino acid that corresponds to th- the three nucleotides. Oh, okay. yep. so, ev- so basically what you'll find, and I recommend everyone Google this, is they should look at the amino acid table and what it will show is a collection of three nucleotides which correspond with a single amino acid. And I think there's about, there's a, a combination of 64 different types of three nucleotides that turn into about 24 or so amino acids, which means there's a lot of redundancy. Okay. So there's going to be you know, something like, um, for example, you could say CUC turns into an amino acid called leucine, but CUA is also three nucleotides that turn into the amino acid leucine. So that's called redundancy in the system. Okay. And so there's 64 of these triplets. So we call these triplets of nucleotides codons. Okay. So there's 64 of these codons that can read into 24 amino acids, and that's what the tRNA does. It reads three nucleotides at a time and pulls in the corresponding amino acid. Okay. All right. Now, did you say I'm missing something? There's something else required in this process, or did I? Come no. It was well? the amino acid? Gotcha. Okay. So can we begin? Yes. Okay. The mRNA transcript is fed through the ribosome, which
1: helps pull in the tRNA. The tRNA. Are you going to talk about the different parts of the ribosome? No. Do you want to? Just large versus small. And what are they? I don't know. The,
2: the, the numbers? Uh, I don't think it's worth talking about, but there's subunits to ribosomes a large and small subunit. Is it 50S and 30S, or is that bacterial? No. Uh, there's either 50S, 30S, or 40S
1: and 20S. Okay. I don't know. It's important to just when you do your It's important to
2: know, but we don't
1: talk about it. No, in, in terms of antibiotics, this is a way you can block this process in bacteria occurring. And because their ribosomes are slightly different to ours, we can block theirs without affecting our protein synthesis occurring. Yeah, exactly. And it's all got to do with the subunits. Okay, so you've got the mature mRNA that's just spat out of the nuclear pore of the nucleus. It's coming to the rough ER yep. and it's now found uh, a ribosome to get pushed through. To push through, and the ribosome helps read the nucleotides
2: and directs the tRNA. It pulls in the correct tRNA to bind to the three nucleotides, also, like I said, known as the codon. And let's just say, now, this is a thing. It has to start reading at a very specific portion of three codons, co- uh, nucleotides, so of a particular codon. Okay. And the codon is the... A-U-G codon. On the mRNA. On the mRNA. And this is basically the start
1: signal. So does that mean, and does that correspond to an amino acid? Is it methionine? Okay. Does that mean every single protein then will always have that as your first amino acid?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Mm. Again, correct me if I'm no, wrong, but I'm, 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 I'm quite sure that that's the case. So A-U-G is the start codon and it chucks in a, is it methionine? Yes. Okay. Chucks in a methionine. And then it starts reading the next three. So let's just say that the next three, for example, is UCU. It then throws in an amino acid, which is serine. Okay. And then it continues to read three at a time, throwing in more amino acids. Now, what you're going to talk about the
1: EPA of the rubber
2: zone.
1: (laughs) I don't think so. What (laughs) is it? The three distinct points on a rubber zone where different things happen. Go for it. Uh, The A is the amino acyl. And that's where a, the, a new amino acid is added to the, what would you call it, like a, a string of pearls? Yeah. The P is the holding part, so where it's actually held. And the E is the exit part, which is where the tRNA leaves.
2: Okay. okay. All right, that's good. That, that makes sense? Yeah, that's good. So what, we're, what we end up with, well, once this ribosome moves its way through, it needs to stop as well. And it has to hit a stop code on. Okay. And I think there's two or three different stop codons. I think one of which is UAA and that's a stop and again that says
1: stop stop reading this mRNA we're done. Okay. Now so, just to clarify one thing. Yeah. The tRNA, yes, which is carrying the amino acid. Yep. The the amino acid is held at its tail end, let's say. Hmm. Okay. Um where on the tRNA does it bind to the codon? Let's say in this in this part the what was the first codon that started it all AUG AUG so that means on the tRNA there has to be a thing that reads that which we call the anticodon yeah so that would similarly all
2: right, what would it be, be what would the if it's if the start codon that needs to be read is AUG what would the it. corresponding anticodon be on the tRNA
1: Well, a if it was DNA would go with T yeah so it's this is a RNA so that would be U yeah uh, A, yeah, and AUG and C, so, so it should be UAC. Correct. So that would be the anticodon. that's the anticodon on the on the oh. tRNA. And so on the other end of that t- same tRNA, because it's the start, it would have an amino acid on it yep. being methionine. Yep.
2: And it th- and it throws it in, and this is the beginning of the string of pearls. Okay. Then all the way once we hit the stop codon UAA, which will obviously have the anticodon of A-U-U, it then throws in
1: that final... I think it's a number. There's a different... There's there's a whole bunch. There's There's three different types of stop codons, but I'm just using A. And unlike the start, this could code for different amino acids. Yep,
2: that's right. Um, And then it creates the last amino acid and you've got a string of amino acids, like a string of pearls, that are now freely floating in the cytoplasm. And this is translation. Now this amino acid or i should say string of amino acids does not remain linear it folds into so this is the
1: primary structure
2: this is the primary structure it needs to fold into tertiary and quaternary structures okay now this
1: folding but is, is r- it happening is this folding happen as it's lengthening or does it have to get clipped and finished before it can start folding up
2: my assumption is because this entire process from trans- transcription to translation happens in, you know, a second mm. so quick um, that it's probably simultaneous. Okay. The folding... Because the folding isn't a process that's, that's mediated by any enzymes or transcription factors per se. It is mediated by the laws of nature.
1: Okay. Oh, so yeah, by, by the um, dynamics of the amino acids.
2: Exactly. And this is what I think is really interesting and really important is that when we have a look at the amino acids, amino acids have different characters, yeah. right? And so when I say different characters, I mean some amino acids are acidic, mm-hmm. some are basic. Some are hydrophobic, so they hate water. Some are hydrophilic, they like water. Some are neutral and, you know, so they've got all these different characteristics about them. But what that also means is if you've got a string of these amino acids, if you've got a hydrophobic one, it does not want to be in that cytoplasm touching that water because it hates the water but the hydrophilic amino acids they do want to be exposed to the water so what ends up happening is it spontaneously arranges itself so that the hydrophobic amino acids are embedded in the middle of the protein and the hydrophilic are on the outside of the protein Mm. but you've also got proteins of different charges so like charges repel so they're not going to be next to each other But different charges, positive and negatives, will be near each other. So what you can automatically picture in your brain is this spontaneous folding of the linear string of amino acid uh, chain that we had into this three-dimensional structure that has now areas that are like pockets or outpostings, all these different areas, and this is now the functional active protein. Okay. Now sometimes proteins come together with other proteins.
1: They get modified in the Golgi, don't they? That's right.
2: So the Golgi apparatus is uh, an area of modification, which actually also allows for proteins to be shuttled to discrete different areas of the body. Yeah, okay. And now these proteins are going to be functional or structural, right? But that's all based. So think about it. All of that is based on the right amino acid sequence. Mm. If I were to change a hydrophobic amino acid to a hydrophilic amino acid, it's going to change the folding. This may potentially change a functional area of the protein, right? And if it changes a functional area of the protein, maybe that protein doesn't work anymore or maybe that protein overworks right. or its function has changed. It's, maybe it maybe gets inactivated or it changes and has a toxic gain of function. Yeah. And this can happen. This is what mutations can do to our proteins. But think about it. That could be beneficial. But this is the thing, right? Because that protein is determined by the amino acid sequence. The amino acid sequence is determined by the codons and the codons are determined by the original DNA sequence. Changes in the original, just a single nucleotide in the original DNA sequence can change the mRNA, which changes the codon, which changes the amino acid, which can change the protein. But here's the thing. There's redundancy all the way through. So, for example, you may change a nucleotide, right? May change an A to a T, Mm. which changes the codon. But maybe it changes a codon, for example, that still reads for the same amino acid. And so...
1: The outcome's not really different.
2: No different. Okay. But maybe it it does change the amino acid. And maybe... So most of the time, mutations like this have no effect. We don't even notice because of this redundancy. However, there are times when the mutation changes the function of the protein and it either has a loss of function or a toxic gain of function. And this is when we start talking about heredity and dominantly versus recessively inherited traits. Okay. If it's toxic gain, it's a dominantly inherited. If it's a loss of function, it's recessively inherited.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. And then that's it. Brilliant. And, uh, and approximately, I know we would, were doing protein synthesis, but when you do a, a cell copy, yeah, um, there's approximately three mutations per cell copy. Wow. So three mutations per billion? I guess. That's pretty good, yeah. right? So pretty that might, good. like you said, that might cause no overall difference, but mm. it might mutate to either be um, gain or loss of function or to be detrimental or beneficial. And this is essentially going to be evolution in a way.
2: Well, that's right. And, you know, different environmental stimuli can speed this up. More UV light speeds it up, for example. But, you know, if
1: we get... This is what they used to do with genetic modification in the 20s. Yeah. They would just get, say, seeds and x-ray them. Mm. And that x-ray radiation would put mutations in the DNA. Mm. And then the effect to that seed... Changes the proteins randomly, they wouldn't yeah. know what's going to happen. But you might have a benefit that comes out of it, or you might have a thousand negatives. So
2: that's a good point because when we do,
1: that's just speed enough evolution. Yeah,
2: when we do our natural, when, when natural selection occurs, right, there are ch- genetic changes that then correspond with physical changes, like a trait, like a trait. So the genetic change is called the genotype, and the physical change is called the phenotype. Now, like we said, not all genotypes, not all changes in genotypes reflect a change in a phenotype. But like Matt said, when we do. So, what's it called when we change the DNA of an organism?
1: You mean like on purpose? Yeah. Like, you mean like genetic modification? That's right. Genetic
2: okay. modification, GMO. Okay. Which has a. Oh, it's a
1: genetically modified organism. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, it has a. Bad stigma associated with it, right? Everyone, yeah. People think GMO. Oh, no, this, has been, this organism has been changed. It's been changed in a lab. It's no longer natural. Mm. No fruit or vegetable that you're eating is natural. Because, well, there's no true definition of natural mm. because we have genetically modified every plant that we ingest. And like Matt said, we either and, do and it by pre- selective breeding yeah. or by chucking radiation at it and then choosing
1: from the phenotype which best suits us. Yeah. And people think... I think we're getting much more accurate now because now we know the genes that will code for a trait and we can decide to put in or pull out or modify.
2: Well, this is my point, right? People say, no, 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 I'd like to let nature decide. Nature does not have a guiding hand. And so it is random and it is chance. Hmm. And so to say that you'll rely upon nature who has no regard... For your benefit at the end of the day, Mother Nature is not guiding the uh, evolution of a carrot so that it's most nutritious for you, right? However, we can do that within a lab, to no detriment,
1: but only benefit to you. So we can change a good it. Good example through gold, guided golden hands. Golden rice, we've mm. modified that rice product to incorporate, I think, more vitamin A, yeah, or retinoic acid, so it helps with the. Um, Nutrient, nutrient deficiency in those parts of the world that have issues with vitamin A.
2: Yeah, they ingest a lot of rice, so we might as well get the vitamin A in through the rice. I mean, that's saved millions
1: of lives, mm. or at least the eyesight of millions of people. An, interest, an interesting one at the moment. They've, um, they've found the gene in, in meat that gives it its taste. That's really? Apparently... So it's just one gene? Well, I'm, I'm, they found the ingredient being the... Uh, Maybe it's maybe it is with some globulin. Okay. Um, and they've found that that appears to be the tasty part of meat. Yeah. Okay. And so there's a company called uh, Impossible Foods. Yep. That then got that gene and put it into um, not f- fungi, a type of fungi. What would they use? Yeah, mushrooms? No. Um, doesn't matter. Um, oh, to just create heaps of yeah, copies of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Probably bacteria. They inject it into that organism, and now that organism produces like the hemoglobin, and wow. so that then they get the hemoglobin, which is just a red fluid, and then put it into like a soybean mush, which then when they change the consistency of it, it then tastes like, like meat. Tastes like soy meat. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So that's genetically modification. Absolutely. Mm. All right.
2: Look, this went longer than I thought, as they all do, but thank you. Hopefully, um, you're still listening.
1: Did you want to do a final summary? or you No, I think people enough?
2: have had enough. Um, if you're still listening, if you're that one person that's still <laughs> listening, you can contact us, email, gubiosciences at gmail.com. You can contact us on Twitter, Dr. Mike Todorovic and Dr. Bartox. Or you can follow me on Instagram, which is at Dr. Mike Todorovic, D-R-M-I-K-E-T-O-D-O-R-O-V-I-C. Or on Facebook, Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike. Or on YouTube, Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike. We're all over the place. We lecture at Griffith University. So if you want us to be your lecturers, come to Griffith Uni. You'll see us every day. You'll have the the time of your life. All right, guys. Thanks. See you, Matty. Bye-bye.